Welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast, episode four? Sure. Uh, I'm your host. Our episode four. Yeah, I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing episode five of Star Trek Discovery, Choose Your Pain. (laughs) I was not expecting that. I didn't warn you, I just decided. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And, yeah, do we want to do our quick five-word... Oh, right, yes. Our um, first reactions. I just... Uh, shoot. I have, I have like, different five-word okay. reactions to different parts of the episode. That's fair. Do you want to just do, like, instead of a five-word reaction, just, like, your overall sort of feeling on the episode? I did really like this episode. You liked the episode? I did, yes. Okay. I did not. So this will be a good discussion today. You didn't like it at all? There were parts that were good. There were parts that were good, and we'll get into that. Okay. All right. Yeah. I wanted to start off the episode talking a little bit about the writing for the episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how television writing usually works, um, but I felt that it was really one of the of the Discovery episodes we've seen so far. I would say that this one right now is ranking at the bottom for me. Even uh, below the, you know, like mm-hmm. the prologue apps? Even below the prologue apps. Mm. Now, I looked up the writer, and the if I'm reading the, the credits correctly, uh, for who was the main story writer for this episode, they only have, like, two writing credits. Which is this one and another show that I've never heard of. And I'm wondering if it was a case of this being a new writer. Mm-hmm. And having to work with a lot of other writers and producers who had all these ideas and him sort of being, feeling like he had to throw it all in. Because it didn't really feel like there was a unified story. It felt very choppy. Like, there was too much in the episode. Okay, I, I can see where you're coming from then. It didn't... The two storylines didn't really sync up. No, but yeah. And I think that, like, had the writing or pa- perhaps the direction... I didn't look up the director information. But had there been different choices made, I think I would have liked this episode a lot better. I think it would have had way more impact than it did. Okay. Lee Rose was the director of this episode. Was he the director? I was doing this late last night, so... He's done a lot of directing for TV. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I remember looking at him now, and I was like, oh yeah, he's done a lot of like recent TV direction, but I haven't watched any recent <laughs> TV. So I was like, I haven't seen that from that show, from that show. Yeah. Kate and Jenner are super cool and up to date with everything. <laughs> I'm late to the party on everything. Except Star Trek. And I'm okay with that. If you're okay with it, then yeah. But, yeah. I'll get there eventually with everything else. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I really liked the individual storylines, and I guess I just didn't really think about how they... They didn't really sync up at all. Yeah. Although, I don't know, I could... Like, the plots definitely didn't sync up, but I do think the overall episode was about, like, just getting to know everybody better. Right, and it could just be that this was an episode that was going to have to be, like, a workhouse, workhorse Mm -hmm. episode. Where it's like, okay, we kind of have to, like, we're starting at this point, and in order to fit in everything in this season, we need to get everybody to this point. How do we do that? And they had to throw it all in there. And I I can see that. But I still, like I said, this one for me is, is coming in at the bottom of what we've seen so far. Also, there is a possibility... Like, we don't really know the details on filming or anything. So, this... Well, there are some plot things in here, but when a TV show films all of its stuff before it airs, there's always the possibility that they went back and were like, oh, we need to put something else in here, or do something here. You don't just throw together stuff. So, we don't really right. necessarily know the that details on that. That's correct. We, we don't really have those production details behind the scenes stuff. But again, that's really no excuse for a sloppy episode. True. Oh, and but mm-hmm. that does remind me something related to last week's episode, because uh, apologies again for the really poor audio quality. Yeah, that was all me on that one. We didn't have time to re-record anything, just because of our, you know, full-time work schedules and everything else. Um, we may go back and re-record something for it while the show is on break, but. Part of what we discussed was how angry we were at the death of Commander Landry and how it felt like a stupid and pointless death because she seemed like, as a security commander, she should have been smarter than that of like going into the cage of an unknown alien creature with a blaster mm-hmm. and a knife and expecting it to end well. Um, now, and then as well... Uh, that was the second female of color to die early on in the show, which was another point against it. Now, actually, Anthony Rapp is on the unofficial Star Trek fan page, and he addressed that. So before the casting was done, that was going to happen to that character. And they'd originally thought that it was going to be a male character cast for the part. And that was, like, the the plot for that character. They were going to die kind of thing. And so it was just a coincidence that they ended up casting Rekha Sharma in the role. Like, it wasn't like they were... They cast the woman and then killed her off. Like, that was going to be the case. Man, woman, anything. I, I see how that makes it slightly better. But A... Like, yeah. that was always their plotline to die? Why? Their death has had no impact on anybody. You know, it's not like there are people mourning her. It's not like it, it started a plotline or anything. I know. So far, we've seen, like, no mm-hmm. impact from it. So. So, my, again, my, like, I guess that makes it slightly better, sure. But mm-hmm. I, it still seems stupid and useless to me. True. And regardless of who was playing the character, I still think that the way they died was stupid. And I would expect somebody who's reached a commander level position in Starfleet to yeah. know better. I do like 
I like I like that this shows that they're not uh, like like if they decide a character is a man that they're not married to that idea. You know what I mean? Yes. And another interesting casting point off of that. Um, the I read an interview or something that was talking to the actor who plays Lieutenant Tyler, who we meet in this episode. And it was the same thing. Like, um, he just answered the casting call for that position, but it wasn't a casting call for um, a person of any particular descent or um, identity. Whereas, like, in a lot of his previous roles, he only gets the role because they need somebody of his ethnicity, specifically. And so, when he got cast, he was like, this is actually really cool that it's just like an open position and I didn't get it because my the, like my identity is crucial to the background of the character. So his story is not going to be about him being from this background. So it was cool for him as an actor. And I think it was good that Star Trek was entertaining people of all backgrounds and not yeah, absolutely. And I they like they do seem to be trying, which is apparently yes. Like, like a bit uh, yeah, apparently it's that's apparently a big hard deal to do in, in TV these days. Yeah. There's actually a website I stumbled across called Media Mediaversity. I don't know. I'll try and grab a link for the show notes and they rate films, it's basically like an advanced Bechdel test. So they rate films based on their diversity in terms of gender and people of color and LGBTQ representation and all of that. And they don't have a rating for Star Trek yet, but I hope that they do take a look at it. And I hope that with rating systems like this, mm-hmm. people start to get more thoughtful about things like that and do better. Yeah. Um, so was it only movies that that site does or movie and TV? Movie and TV, it looks really new. Oh, okay. So they don't have a lot of content up there yet. Uh, but it, they, there's like a letter grading system and you can look at what each one does and things like oh, that. Oh, that's cool. And like they say, they're not they're not grading based on the content of the show. Right, just the, yeah. yeah. So it could still be like a really crappy show. It just has good diversity. Or it could be like a really good show that happens to lack in diversity. Yeah, okay. That's, I'm, I don't know how you would do it, but it'd be nice if you could also sort of right I mean it's super subjective like the goodness of the show because it'd be interesting to see how many good shows with lots of money and you know the power of Hollywood or whatever behind them use diverse cast versus Mm -hmm. which don't I mean obviously we know the answer to that but it'd be interesting to see it all laid out kind of mathematically yes yes okay sorry I think we got off track there (laughs) That's okay. Important, important, well, important discussion, okay. anyways. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's get into the actual story of the show. And what did you think of opening with a dream sequence? I like that they didn't try to, you know, dupe us into thinking it wasn't a dream sequence. Like it was obviously a dream sequence. I hate when they try to dupe you, except that they don't do a good job, and then you're like, "Well, this is obviously." dream we would never believe this right you know but they were just like nope this is a dream sequence yeah other than that i actually true i sorry you go well i was gonna say like the other thing that they sometimes do with dream sequences is they want to like 
they want to see character do X, Y, or Z, or this funny moment, or blah, blah, blah. And so they throw it in as a dream sequence because it's out of character. Yeah. So uh, I hate it when shows do that too. But anyways, back to you. Um, I, I did think it, it didn't really fit the tone of the rest of the series, is what I was going to say on top of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that could have just been the director, you know? That, that could have been. It didn't land well for me at all. Uh, I'm not a big fan of dream sequences in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're done, I want them done for a very like plot-relevant reason. Mm-hmm. And thinking about dreams in Star Trek in particular in the past, there's been a few that they've handled really well, where like the, the dreams are integral to the plot of the episode. There's special information there. There's special reasons for the dream. It's all very tied in to what has to be done. Right. This one seemed to be like, in case you didn't get the parallels between Michael and the tardigrade, here's a little visual clarification for you. And it was like, no, no, I got that. Like, I drew those parallels from the last episode. Um, didn't need the dream sequence to have Michael's, you know emotional turmoil spelled out for me or how there's parallels between their two circumstances. Yeah. I do also think it was, it was like unnecessary foreshadowing. Like as, mm-hmm. as soon as they started trying to come up with a, a different way, like to not use the tardigrade, I was like, yes, a person is going to have to get in there. Get it. Got it. Good. We didn't yeah. need that. Yeah. And then possibly with unnecessary foreshadowing, they were like trying to make sure you thought that Michael was going to volunteer for it and be the one to do it. Mm -hmm. And then they were going to surprise us when it wasn't Michael. And I was like, no, no, that again, didn't feel like it was necessary at all. And I, I think it would have been like more, they could have done a better job leading up to that if they wanted that as a twist without having the dream sequence where we see Michael in the chamber. She's been in the chamber already. Yeah. I actually... Right? Like... Like, just... I'm jumping ahead now to the end of the episode, mm-hmm. but I really liked mm-hmm. that they didn't have her do it and that they actually just had her obey a command and stay in her room. I... Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to save this for the end. Okay. Okay, because okay. I want to end on that. Okay, let's move on um, I... In our notes, I basically am starting with, like, the weakest storylines, and then ending on the stuff I liked. Oh, okay, cool. So, so you hated everything that happened on the Klingon ship, is what I'm getting from these notes. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Many, many, many problems with that whole storyline. Um, but let's... What did you think of it? Um... What did you think of the character of Mud? Um... Unnecessary. Yes. Is, is, is um, that what you felt also? Unnecessary. I'm pretty sure he's in two episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. So I think some of this was, again, just like we had to see some of this stuff to make the next episode with him make sense. Yeah. But then I think, again, bad writing. Yeah. Um. So... Are you familiar with the Mud character from the original series? No, not at all. I didn't even realize he was in it. 
Yes. Okay, so um, there are two Mud episodes from the original series, and I rewatched them this week at great personal cost because I I don't like the original series, and the Mud episodes really highlight some of the worst parts of the original series for me. That's um, it's just funny that you don't like the original series because that's what got you into Star Trek. Well. Yeah, a little bit. But, like, when I was watching the original series, I was too young to pick up on most of these things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, but I just think that that's funny that you don't even have, like, a fond nostalgia for it. You're just like, nope, this is terrible. There are isolated scenes that maybe trigger nostalgia, but then you look at the whole picture and it's just a whole lot of no. Nope, nope, nope. Um, but do you want a, a brief, like, rundown of the Mud episodes? Sure. It will not help this make more sense, I don't think, but I'll give you a brief rundown. Okay, the very first episode he's in is a first season TOS episode called Mud's Women. Okay. And basically, they run down this little ship, and its engines overheat, and they have to beam everybody aboard, and it's Mud, and these three beautiful women, which the whole crew of the Enterprise is right away, like, distracted by, and, like... You know, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah I, and I they're, rolled. They're Very dressed in day. like, yes, they're dressed in like ridiculous, over the top, like sequined nineteen sixties evening gown wear in space, and yeah. have like the false in space, yeah. And he is transporting these women to a mining colony to basically sell them as brides. <laughs> with, I mean, to be fair, the women are there with their consent, like they're not imprisoned okay so it's not like you know he's forcing them against their will they're all leaving other situations where there's no good prospects for them but throughout this episode you realize that um it's revealed that the only reason these women are gorgeous is because mud's giving them this venus drug that makes them look gorgeous and like a few times they have like the drug wear off and the women get more and more haggard looking and uh, yeah, then they take the drug and it's like magically of the 1960s TV special effects. They're gorgeous again. And so, yeah, so that was the first time. And they put him in jail and all that. The second time you meet Harry Mudd, they encounter. Uh, no, they encounter is not the right word, but there's a new crew member on their ship who ends up taking over the ship because he's an android and setting them on a course to this planet that's filled with these androids. And you get there and you realize that Harry Mudd is there. I can't remember quite how he got there, but he's like programmed all these robots. And most of them are like, again, gorgeous women, scantily clad, to serve him. And he's now got the Enterprise here so that he can get off the planet and leave the Enterprise crew stuck there. And there's all these moments in the episode where, like, even uh, Chekhov is there, and he's, like, clearly, like, really happy that these beautiful women androids are, like, serving him, and they're, like, fully compatible, and, like, all these, like, sexual innuendo things going on, and it's, yeah, pretty disgustingly misogynistic. Mm -hmm. Both of his storylines. The only 
Well, I'll tell you about the other little Easter egg at the end. But yeah, so how we get from the hairy mud that we see in this episode to the hairy mud 10 years later that does these other things, I wasn't really clear on. Oh. Like, it seemed like a little bit of unnecessary Star Trek tourism. It does, I mean, character-wise, he does just sort of seem like someone who, you know, after the war could just be out to make a quick buck. True, and you don't get the sense from this episode at all that he is in any way, shape, or form a good person before this. Yeah. And he clearly, like, when he talks about buying the moon for this woman he fell in love with, it's, that in itself is, like, incredibly problematic thing to do. It's like, oh, you know, women care about money and things like that, so to make her love me, I'll buy her this thing. Was it, was it for her, or was it to impress her dad? Does that make it better? No, I'm just, I was just looking to clarify. <laughs> I, I don't remember, I'd have to rewatch it. Because again, like his part, and and even his whole part, like people get thrown in a jail cell with him, and he just like word vomits his entire backstory to them. I feel like there was a lot of that in this episode, though. Like every time somebody met in jail, it was like, "Let me tell you exactly who I am and where I'm from." <laughs> yes, yes. Let me position myself precisely in this universe for you. Yeah. Actually, I mean, you could make the argument for Mud that he was doing it to gain people's trust because he was recording them or whatever. It it still seems kind of like bad writing, but you could make that argument. Yeah, you could. And again, like the whole part where he was complicit with the Klingons, I didn't quite like the Klingons could have just had a recording device. You're in a ship that can go to warp. They can't bug a room <laughs> without a prisoner being complicit. Like what? Well, okay. So yes, that. But also, they would need someone there to get them to talk. Well, that's fair. Because they aren't just going to be uh, sitting alone in a room. Here is my life story, Klingon bug. Well, true. But I mean, from the prison other prisoners' point of view, if I was prisoner in a hostile alien ship with that level of technology i would assume that they're recording everything anyways and i wouldn't talk even if somebody was like oh so hey tell me about your super secret technology yeah so there was a large parts of that storyline that i thought were they pushed me out because i didn't buy it yeah i will also say i didn't buy that tyler would be well, like, and Tyler was there seven months, and he didn't clue in that whole time that this was going on. And then Lorca's there, like, a day. And is like, oh, I figured everything out. I've uncovered the plot. Yeah, that's fair. I, I will say, on the defense of, well, Tyler, I suppose, and, and, and Mud a little bit, I don't know what I would be like in jail, getting tortured by Klingons. You know, you might do some weird shit. You might not notice some stuff. Okay, that's a fair point. But again, as far as like a well-written TV show is concerned, which is fantasy, yes, it does seem a bit like why wouldn't Tyler have noticed these same things? I don't know. Yeah, and I guess like he wasn't there for seven solid months and they may have had them in different prison cells because they see a different person at the very beginning Mm -hmm. who gets beaten up, right? 
and then Tyler gets brought back in. And what did you think in general of Tyler? Well, first, I really didn't trust him because mm-hmm. he looked way too good to have been in prison for seven months. I even think they right? had some of his like like he had these bloody marks under his eyes, and I'm pretty sure they just magically disappeared. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice um, that. But maybe it was just bad lighting, and then when he was in better lighting, it, they weren't there. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I get they did kind of explain that, and I hope like he he was basically on that ship as a sexual prisoner for seven months. And I hope they don't just wipe that under the rug. You know what I mean? Sweep that under the I'm, rug, I suppose, is the yeah. phrase. I'm pretty sure that he is going to be dealing with issues of PTSD. Okay. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder throughout the rest of the season. Like, that's good. Like, I would actually prefer Star Trek without that. But now that they've brought it up, I hope that they, mm-hmm. like, I hope it's not just swept under the rug. And now I'm back on a good ship, so I'm fine. Right, yeah. Um, that's very much what Star Trek has done with some of... In TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened a lot. It would be like, Oh, hey, Troy is impregnated by an alien species against her consent, but we won't deal with any of those issues. So the episode's done. She's fine. Oh, Jesus. Never come up again. I do not remember that. Oh, yeah. there There were a few episodes like that. There were a few episodes where she was impregnated against her will. <laughs> no, but Sorry, there was I shouldn't a few episodes. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. There, it's okay. Um, but like Troy's character in particular had several things happen to her that there would have been realistically consequences for. Yeah, and they never gave her character depth to explore it. Yeah, and in TNG, like Picard got some time to explore his own issues with being converted by the Borg. Data got a lot of story arc things. Um, Jordy didn't even get a lot of things. He was taken captive by aliens at least once during the series that I can remember, and then again during the movies, and never really has to deal with the consequence. Like, there are seemingly no consequences of it. He's fine. And that's not realistic, Yeah, from what I've heard. Having never personally been captured and tortured by people, I can't say. But, you know, so that's that's one of the things where the episodic style of old Star Trek really is a weakness. Because it has to be wrapped up in that episode. If you're referencing things back and forth from other episodes that's confusing for the audiences of that time. That is something that that I like. It has been a shift in TV in general that I enjoy, like the overarching plots and overarching character development. Yes. Yeah, you can go much deeper with issues like this. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that his character... I'm hoping that I warm up to his character... Yo, I guess we've really only seen him as a prisoner. We haven't really seen him as him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just, right now, it feels a little bit cardboard. Like, I'm not really... I'm not really sold on his 
acting performance yet. Mm -hmm. That could change. I don't know. It just was one of the parts. It may also be just because he was in this section with Lorca and Mud and the Klingons that I generally didn't like. Yeah. Um, So it could just be that influencing it as well. And I think between the other two, between Lorca and Mud, there was a lot of capital A acting going on, you know? Like yeah, they were, I think I know what you mean. They were giving it. <laughs> Maybe a bit much is what I'm saying. Maybe a bit much, yeah. yes. But I think that may also be like, you know, had they been given something that was written better? Oh yeah, absolutely. Or like, it, it could also be the effects, like I don't know if it was intended to have these short scenes that jumped here and there and then back and then forth but I felt that um, if they would have taken some things out and given the actors time together in one space that these scenes could have developed much more organically and it would have just given the whole episode more depth yeah it, it does maybe they were just trying to do too much in this one episode so they had to like they may have filmed oh, I definitely more on the Klingon ship, and just had to cut it. Mm-hmm. So that could be, that could be. Um, the other things I take issue with on the Klingon ship, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what was going on with Lorel. I don't buy her reaction to her prisoner escaping. She seemed to be treating that was Lorel. I thought so. I thought I I could I be just, wrong. I, just I, I would be glad if it's wrong. Because it doesn't seem like her. Yeah. She's acting like a spurned lover who's like flipping out that he's escaping. And then it, she, he's able to physically overcome her all of a sudden and start speeding the crap out of her. And yes, I get adrenaline in certain situations would heighten his abilities, but he's also been a prisoner there for seven months. And he's not going to be in peak physical form. And then he and Lorca just bust out of jail, overcoming several Klingons who are trained warriors. That really, I was like, okay, come on. Yeah, right. Please. I would have loved for them to have found a more um, scientific way out of that situation instead of it being a brute force escape. Right. Also, well, I will. Uh, I was discussing with somebody on Twitter. I'm going to look up their name. One moment here. Okay. About whether or not that was Laurel, um, but also about the timeline on everything. Like the the battle that what's his face was captured from. Do we know what battle oh, that right. was? The battle that of binary Tyler was stars. From? Yeah. The battle was, of the binary stars. So was that was that the first battle no couldn't have been that was the battle where michael and yeah the battle of the binary stars that was the name of the second episode oh really yes okay sure okay i have no memory of that sorry apologies yeah the first episode was the vulcan hello the second is the battle of the binary stars and that's where tyler says he was captured but he's only been in prison for seven months i thought it had been a year no, in episode... Okay, yeah, that was the third episode. So in Context is for Kings, it's a six-month mm-hmm. time jump 
from Battle of the Binary Stars. Oh, I thought Stars. it was a one-year... Okay. Okay. I thought it was a one-year time jump. Yeah. Okay. And then... So we're now three episodes later. One more month has passed. Okay. So... See, what the heck was going on if that was Laurel? Like, I believe... I was speaking with um, Gypsy Book Nerd Mm -hmm. on Twitter about this. Mm -hmm. And she said it was the same actress. So it definitely was Laurel, because she also thought it was perhaps not Laurel. Mm -hmm. Unless they're just recycling actresses for... Um, (laughs) She's... she's, For female Klingons. Yeah, she's credited in the episode as Laurel. It just didn't seem anything like her, though. I know. I know. And I really didn't like that. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I would... Where did all her religious zeal go? Yes, or even, like, her, you know, acute political reasoning. You know? Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah. um, She seems like somebody who is able to keep herself balanced with her emotions and not like fall in lust after a human, you know, I a hundred percent did not like, I mean, I guess everybody's got layers. True. But also the other part that I didn't like about this is that in the last episode, we got stuff that was happening on the Klingon side from the Klingon perspective. In mm-hmm. this one, it is 100% from Starfleet officers' perspective. We don't know what the Klingons were trying to do with Tyler, with Mud. Like, they're trying to extract information, yes. Um, but, like, I would have rather seen it from the Klingon perspective. Yeah. It definitely this episode more like I feel like with the last episode and with the first episode even they were definitely trying to set them up as just a different side on the war and not as these like monster bad guys mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then this episode was the other way yes they were just basically monsters of the week bad guys yes. which is why they were they were um, stupid evil yeah right like in in my mind there is no way that armed klingon guards should be overcome by two human prisoners yeah exactly and yet yeah they totally escaped but let's move on from that and discuss what i sort of think is a subplot line of the episode which was saru and his character development. I this hmm. oh also just to wrap up on the Klingon storyline. Okay. I just wanted to say I thought it was ridiculous mm-hmm. that Lorca just left all these enemies to come back later. You know, like he oh. just left Mud. So obviously he's going to come back later. He had a good opportunity to just kill Lorel. Like now that I realize it was Lorel, I'm glad he didn't. Mm-hmm. But he shot her in the face. Like they were just vaping vaping you know what i mean um, the rest of the klingons yep. yeah there we go well i think that wasn't intentional um, i think she dodged and so i don't think it hit her 
Right. He could have shot. He could have shot again. He was right there. Well, there was nobody else around. <laughs> he could have just shot again. He had plenty of opportunity. <gasps> but now it's like, oh, now she's gonna be super pissed at you later because of her big scarred face. That's right. And you, like, you took away her her boy toy, her prisoner that she was yeah. torturing. So and, and he just like left all these. He made some enemies, and then it was like, oh, see you in a later episode. Yep. I thought that was ridiculous. Pretty much. Which, again, have them science their way out. Like... Yeah. Or something, you know? Like, you could still set up an injury for her, but don't make it that, like, he had the opportunity to kill her and then didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even just... His character is so not that character. He would have killed her. Yes. I mean, he left mud there. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah, his character in general is fascinating me at this moment. Just the bits I've seen. Okay, back to Saru. Sorry. Um, yes, on to Saru. Yeah, I really liked his sort of journey in this episode, and I think his sort of storyline is one of the the like getting to know everybody storylines that I thought was happening in this episode. Hmm. Hmm. Again, I thought the way that it jumped around meant that. His storyline wasn't as impactful as it could have been. Yeah. Because, like, there was a few scenes of, like, just him or him plus Burnham. And I think that if they had worked those scenes in to flow off of some of the other scenes, it would have been better. Or even if they just cut some of the other parts to give more time for that, Mm -hmm. that would have been better. Yeah. I did like it's sort of their the beginning of their journey to trusting one another again. Yeah. And I did actually you... I really sorry. Go ahead. I I really loved at the end when he admitted to being jealous of her. I thought that that was very a very real moment. Like I thought that was a very good scene between the two of them at the end. Yes. Yeah. And not just that he was jealous that she was spending time with Georgiou, mm-hmm. but then that Georgiou died. And that meant that he didn't have that chance to, you know, get any more time. It was stolen from him. So he's grieving that part. Yeah. I thought that that whole scene. And then she gave him the telescope. It was just a really nice scene. It was, yeah. And you didn't have a problem that she gave away the telescope to him? No. No? Okay. She doesn't seem like a person who's very concerned with possessions. So I mean, nobody really does on Starfleet. They have little tiny rooms. Well, that's true. Yeah. And replicators for a lot of things. So, But yeah, so I thought that was good. It could have been better. Um, Saru and Doug Jones' acting and his scenes with everyone, I think, mm-hmm. are some of the, the highlights of the show for me each week. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I guess I thought every in, similar to you I thought every individual scene was well done but again mm-hmm. because the episode was so like nothing really seemed to fit with anything else mm-hmm. so, so that did kind of sour it a bit but I, I just thought that the, the two of them act really well together they have good chemistry just in their scenes together whether they're angry or whether they're you know just talking I think um, definitely they Play Sinequa, off. am I saying that correctly? They sneak well? Sinequa, her name, the actress. But, oh, so... 
Um, yeah, so him and Sonequa. I'm pretty sure that's how yeah. we say the name. I, they just, they have, they act well together. And I like any scene with the two of them. They do, yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, now, the last storyline, which I thought was the best one, was mm-hmm. the one that was going on on the Discovery uh, with them trying to work out the tardigrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Michael was trying to figure out what was going on with that and all of that stuff. I guess it was yeah. mostly like there was the rescue of Lorca is what they were trying to do and get the tardigrade to work for them. So Poor little tardigrade. I actually thought that everybody's like reactions in that plot line was very real mm-hmm. because, you know, if you had as far as you knew, an animal, not like a sentient being, or, you know, the life of a, your crewmate, y- you would say, whatever, do it, we're getting this person back. Right. So, I thought that that was very real, and everybody else just being like, maybe no, <laughs> was also, because they were, you know, in the room seeing what it was doing, and, and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. And I was glad that they put the parts in there with Saru explaining how he was jealous a bit and he had wanted to learn from the captain because he felt that he wasn't as good a commander as he could be. Mm-hmm. I liked that. And then he was still able to give his commands and make his decisions with, like, without second-guessing himself. Like, when he was on the bridge, when he was, you know, giving out his orders, he wasn't hesitating. He was just like, this is my decision. I'm going with it. We're moving forward. And... And then he'd sort of second-guess himself in private. Yeah, and also just, like, he wasn't second-guessing himself. I didn't get the feeling like he was um, regretting the decisions. I thought he was owning them. But then also looking at the scenario and thinking, like, what can I learn from this? Yeah. That was how I felt it went. And I liked that. Because I think that it makes him a good officer. Like, I can I can see why he's there. And I thought this time... Like... So the Discovery storyline... Mm-hmm. I thought had really good Star Trek bits to it. That's part of why I liked it the best. Yeah, I it can had, see that. It had really good potential had the direction or the uh, the writing allowed for more scene development, I thought it could have been even better. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost too bad they didn't just make these two episodes. Like, one where you see Captain Lorca on the Klingon ship, and one where you see the Discovery trying to rescue him. Right, right. Or, or, or even just a two-parter, but just, like, more time for both things. And more time to tie them both together and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it could have benefited from that. Mm-hmm. Well, there was even a few parts though where I there was a few scenes where I thought, why, like, why is this scene here? Or there was a couple times when they showed, like, they were showing off their special effects budget, kind of idea, right? Like, we could have cut out this bit where we see the bottom of the Klingon cruiser. We could have cut out this bit where we see. Um, you know, the dream sequence at the beginning. You know, like, they, they could have made some different choices there. Mm-hmm. To give more time for the other stuff. That's true. 
but yes, I I did also really enjoy the Discovery storyline, and I liked how you, I, this is almost like, hmm, sorry, I'm trying to put my thoughts together, but overall, I, especially in this storyline, I think, showcased it well. I like how there is tension between everybody, but they still come together and work as a team and have the same goals. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that that whole storyline showcased that well. Mm-hmm. That even if, you know, we don't get along or whatever, we're still here for the same reasons and we can work well together. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, Michael in this case, too, doesn't try and stop him from saving the captain. Right? She's like, mm-hmm. we don't really have a choice. And so they use the tardigrade for the first jump. But then it, you know, goes into stasis, predictably. Yeah. So. Even, I even thought her, her arguing against doing that was smartly done, because she wasn't saying, she wasn't ex- necessarily expressing concern for the tardigrade. She was saying, I don't know if this will work at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. I do find it interesting that they didn't bring up the fact, like, the potential danger of the tardigrade. Because, essentially, that's what they were doing with the tardigrade on the Glen, the last ship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, like... Oh, no, it didn't break out. That's right. There was a malfunction. They hit a, you know... I know Stamets explained it, but... They hit an unforeseeable pocket of something that caused the ship to go out of sync or whatever, and that's how people died. I had thought that the tardigrade broke out and went rampaging. But I think that was after. But still, like, I thought that too, because like, they're basically hurting it now. Mm-hmm. And then, like, why wouldn't it have retaliated? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it could have been that the Glen wasn't treating it as well. Because That's true. You definitely get the sense that, like, they beam it into the chamber, they beam it out of the chamber, they give it regular access to the spores, you know, like, that it's being cared for. They still keep it in that little cage, though. I don't know why they wouldn't keep it with the spores. Um, probably because the spore area doesn't have the right containment possibilities. But he's a happy little tardigrade. He doesn't need to be contained. <laughs> but you see him at the very end when they let him out. Um... That he just, like, warps himself away. Okay, I see what you're saying. It's fine. Yeah. I thought they warped him. No, I think he connects himself to the spore network and then is like... Peace. Yeah. Alright, that's fine. Yeah. Could have just made friends with him. Mm -hmm. I will say, I kind of... I don't know if they addressed this in the show and I missed it, but when they were putting the Mm -hmm. tardigrade out into space, I was like, Do you know if it can survive in outer space? (laughs) I was like, wait! Uh, Tard... Human or Earth tardigrades can, so I assume they just assumed. Oh, okay. Well, like the the microorganisms that yep. do exist here, yep. they can survive in space. Okay. Okay, that's fair. I feel better with that then. I'm like doubting myself now. I did, about that. I'm gonna look that up quickly, but I'm pretty sure. Well, I know that the Earth tardigrades can like survive in like freezing conditions and through heat, and like they are pretty indestructible. I do know that much. Yeah. Okay. In 2007, scientists discovered blah, blah, blah. Yes, they can survive in space. Okay. Wonderful. Um, I wasn't sure if she was supposed to be freeing the tardigrade. And I'm interested to see if there's consequences. 
from that because like the admiralty wanted to find more of these and so oh i'd forgotten about the admiralty yeah yeah i got uh, just from the feel of that scene mm -hmm. i i got that we were probably never going to be addressing the tardigrade again you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah but True. If the admiralty did want them i don't know they were sort of proven to be long-term unviable True. you know what i mean because they would and obviously the end set up the next chapter of the story of the spore drive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty clear for anybody who is doubting now that this does take place pre-Kirk. And why wouldn't they have spore drives in Kirk's timeline? I think this now pretty clearly addresses that this technology is not going to pan out as usable. Mm -hmm. It should be pretty obvious now that they're going to like realize, oh, we can't use the tardigrades because they're sentient beings and this is torturing them. But And then we'll try this and something else will happen that explains why that can't work either and then the technology will be given up. So I'm glad that they're actually like addressing why there's a technology mismatch from the prequel to the next shows. Yeah, I that wouldn't have bothered me just because I don't know enough about the later shows to care it, it didn't bother me like i can i can get past it same with like the holographic communication the 3d communication stuff that they didn't have in later star treks i can get past it because i can mentally realize that there is a difference between the production capability of when the shows are being made and i don't want mm -hmm. to handicap the shows being made now by forcing them into lower grade sorts of, uh, you know, special effects. So I can get past it, but there's a lot of fans out there that can't. That this is their their sticking point that they want to rant about. And so I'm kind of glad when certain things address it. I can see where they're coming from, but it does sort of seem like a molehill to die on. Yes, for sure. Now, one of the things that surprised me was that from this episode, the biggest reaction I've seen so far, and even like just this morning, um, one of the other moms at my kid's school watches Star Trek. And so just before I left, after dropping my son off, she was like, did you see the episode? Did you see the episode? And what she wanted to talk about, the big thing was swearing in Star Trek. I will say it, it did feel a little out of the blue, but also, I really liked it. Yeah? Uh, personally, I... Okay. <laughs> Swearing has never been very taboo in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, even when I was young, my, my parents didn't really care. Mm -hmm. Not that I swore a lot when I was young, but you know what I mean? It was never really a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked swearing when I'm excited. And I liked that they were excited about cool science. You know? Yes, and that is a totally valid point. I have complicated feelings on this. Um, okay. Should we maybe jump into our listener mail that we got this morning? Yeah, yeah. sure, because it, 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 it's about the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Should I read that? I got another email from Matthew. And for him as well, the moment of swearing is what stands out to me. Um, so I'm reading his thoughts here. I think I understand that they want this to stand as something a bit different than previous series, but it just didn't feel necessary. 
Swearing isn't something Star Trek has gone into in the past in general, and when it does, it's usually earned. Data's oh shit is a reaction to stress when learning to deal with the emotion ship. Star Trek IV uses it as comedy and to show how uncouth the past is. Swearing over how cool the science is might seem fun, but it's the sort of thing they would previously do with someone talking about the excellence of the moment. This feels like we're stepping away from more of the ideals that made Star Trek such a great series in the past than expected. We'll see how it turns out. I'm not averse to some adult elements, but if this starts being the standard, I'll be more turned off. And then he says, I'm not sure if Kate has children, but Jen, does this impact when you would watch it with the kids compared to other series? So Matthew really... Just to clarify, <laughs> Kate does not have children. That's correct. Kate does not have children. And I really liked Matthew bringing in the other swearing parts to Star Trek. Uh, as far as I know, those are the only two other times when Star Trek has incorporated swearing. And I totally agree with those points. Um, that usually, in those instances, the swears were really well earned. And the other issue I have with this swearing is that in Star Trek IV, it is clear that most of the Enterprise crew has no clue about that kind of swearing. And that's why it's played for like a comedic element. And so it feels odd to then have swearing be so natural in this scene. I mean, you could argue that it's not. They both, when Tilly says it's fucking cool, they both stare at her. And then, you know, a second later, Smet says, you know, it is fucking cool. Yes. You know, so you do get the idea that swearing isn't commonplace. Well, that's true. And she does apologize, but I got the feel that it was more like a mm -hmm. professional workplace sort of thing where... Okay, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Although, also, they play Tilly as being... She is socially... Kind of common. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, a little socially awkward, too, but that's not what okay. I was going for. But they play her as being, like, like the common rabble. You know, the people who might swear. Okay, as opposed to, like, the academic elite that Stamets and yeah. uh, Burnham would be. Okay. Yeah. And so her, like, swearing first, I can see sort of brought it into the conversation. I, I should preface that with that's not how I personally think of Tilly. Preface. I'm saying it afterwards. Whatever. <laughs> um, that's not how I think of Tilly. And that's not how I think of Tilly. I, I really like... Yeah, I didn't think of Tilly that way first, but I could see where that would be an interpretation of her. That she's sort of the everyman. But I think maybe that's... Yeah, I think that's how they see her. The the elite. It's not how I personally see her. I think she's mm -hmm. fabulous. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah. You can see where that's how she plays against right. them. Right. That, that being said, like a lot of people's feelings on this are going to depend on how they were raised and just their own personal thoughts on things. Absolutely. You know, like, Absolutely. Like, even the fact that it is such a big deal at all is a shock to me, because swearing is not a big deal at all in my yeah, life. Yeah, and I can see a lot of, like, for a lot of existing Star Trek fans, Star Trek was a family show. It was watched, it was put on the kids were there, you watched it together. Um, that's part of why a lot of 
fans now have fond memories over it because it was one of those, mm-hmm. you know, happy family times. You got to watch Star Trek together. Um, so I can see where now bringing in swearing that might cause a problem because we're hoping to recreate that with our families. And then you have, oh, well, now they're getting into adult language. Now, for me, whether or not I show this to my kids first or second is going to be way more about different mature themes in it um, rather than the language. Uh, For me personally, just because of the age where my kids are at, they're four and six, they're not going to sit down and watch the show uh, just because six yeah. sorry I that's know. insane i know carry on yeah kate and i have known each other since <laughs> that means i've known you for more than six oh, yeah. years it's been like 10. that's I, it doesn't feel like that long yeah that's insane um that's weird Ugh, carry but on. like there's there's too much talking in the show right now for my four and six year old about stuff they're not going to understand which is why i wouldn't show it to them and then it's also very violent um so it's not so much well I mean, the language is more an issue for my younger son because he's a language sponge and gets bad language off of the children's shows marketed to him, let alone the swears. Um, and so there's... See, this again, this was just never at all a thing in my family. My parents did not care whatsoever about what we watched. So I don't... I just don't have this oh, yeah, as yeah. a... As a pro- as a thing in my mind, I, I totally you know? agree. And like, also, I'm gonna say, like, growing up, um, my parents never censored our content, never censored our book content, never censored our television content. They would question us as to why we were interested in show X, Y, or Z, um, for sure. Uh, mostly, it was because you know we were watching typical kid and teen shows that my mother found incredibly stupid in their content and she would be like i don't understand why you're watching this um but it was never like like we watched more adult tv shows with our parents but it was also very much we were in a privileged household where if somebody was watching something we didn't like there was another tv and we would go watch something else and that was okay um, the big difference between my childhood and with my kids is that right now they can't independently just flip on the TV and start changing channels because we don't pay for cable. Um, everything is computerized, so we have a lot of shows, but it's a lot harder for them to navigate an iTunes menu or like the different electronic menus to get to what they want. Than when I was a kid and you could just turn on and click the button until something caught your eye and you sat watching it. So we're a lot more deliberate about what gets put on and then they can watch anything at any time. So it's not like as a kid you learn, oh, at this time the show comes on and then you run to the TV and you sit down and watch it. It's anything's available at any time. So like we do have to to meter it because it's not like in the old days when the the show you were watching was over and you couldn't get another one on, so you turn off the TV and go do something else. It's theoretically, they can watch, you know, like I think four seasons of My Little Pony uninterrupted if, unless a parent intervenes. You know, they could watch, you know, so many seasons of Pokemon back to back to back to back unless, you know, and, and so it's about teaching them choices about right. all sorts of things related to media. But so it's a much different question about 
just the language as to whether or not they'll be watching this Star Trek first or a different Star Trek first. Um, for kids in general, I would think jumping in somewhere with Voyager or um, the next generation would be... Yeah, next, next generation's what I watched yeah. when I was a kid. And I mean, not to say that all the content on it isn't problematic, uh, but I just think that the episodic structure works better for kids versus the long-form storytelling. So there's that aspect of it. And then my huge hope, I hope CBS is listening, is that they would develop children's programming with Star Trek. Because, <laughs> yeah, if there was... If there was another Star Trek animated show that came out, um, or even like a live action show that was aimed at a child audience, I would put that on in a heartbeat. And I would hope that it would be filled with a lot of good modeling of teamwork, a lot of uh, good modeling of finding intelligent ways to solve problems instead of just violence. Uh, and I would hope that it would, mm -hmm. you know, help them discover a love of science and math and exploration and diplomacy and all those things that we love about star trek and i would love to be able to put that on for them instead of you know the ninja turtles who fight their way out of almost every problem that would be great yeah right are um is the animated series at all like that i have i did watch one episode of the animated series and it's mm -hmm. basically like um, episodes of the original Star Trek animated and oh. the quality well I mean I don't think my kids are exactly you know connoisseurs of animation quality they they watch a lot of old animation right. anyways um, so the quality for me was hard to watch and I don't think that the the story wasn't compelling to me. I can't imagine my kids enjoying it. And I'll keep trying to watch more episodes right. to see if it is something they would enjoy. And if there is one or, you know, a few that I would think that they would be interested in, I will put it on. And they did come in the room when I was watching one of the Mud's women, one of the Mud episodes. Oh, that's a great introduction for I, them. I know. They did come in and, and watch a little bit of it and my four-year-old was asking, who's that? What's that? Where are they? So where do you talk about the okay. consequences? Yes, but I want to go back to this. I'm not done talking about the swearing yet. There's more. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. More about the swearing. Yeah. Um, I agree with what Matthew said. While it was cool in theory, I don't think it was earned. I think it could have been earned in this episode if they hadn't jumped around so much. The scene it was in, like, I want to go back and time it, because, like, was it more than two minutes long? Um, you know? Probably not. It was so fast. It was like, hey, there's going to be three science characters brainstorming. First person says something. Second person riffs off it. Third person continues off it. Wow, mind blown? I was like, no, no, no. Let's get them in the room together, actually working together, get them at displays, get them sharing knowledge, like actually see them earning that. And then I would have been more okay with it. 
See, for me, that that really has nothing to do with the swearing, and it's just like a poorly written scene. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other thing that finally kind of ticked me off about it was that I feel like because this is the episode that had the first swear in it, mm-hmm. it took away from the ending of the episode, which I thought was one of the strongest moments of the whole of this whole episode. Which moment? The very end moment with um, Stamets in the mirror. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that is what everyone should be talking about. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's what I'm like. What the hell is happening there? So like, I'm so like, I'm kind of mad that they put the swear in this one. I was and uh, because everyone should be freaking out over Stamets and that whole thing, and not about the swearing. To be fair, they didn't know people... Well, maybe they could have predicted, but... I don't know. They didn't know that that was going to be what stuck with everybody. I know, that's true. But it's it, it's also maybe annoying me that the fans are getting so distracted about it. That they're... They're choosing this as their sticking point. Yeah. But, and I mean, in, in general, I, I don't mind swearing in Star Trek... As long as it's not too much, like I want it to be well earned. And again, I think that's just one of the things that we're going to have to deal with with the different media that they're using. I think that if Star Trek in the past had had different decisions made about it, that it wasn't aimed during the family TV time, that it was put on not a general cable network, but on like. Like, if Deep Space Nine had been released on HBO, it would have been, like, a way darker, way grittier, way edgier show than what we got. But it was released on, you know, general cable. And I think that, like, the all-access, the streaming, does have the benefit of allowing more edgier, more realistic, more gritty content. And so I think that they're trying to play to that audience a bit. But I don't think it's strictly necessary. But I wouldn't put it to you this way. If my kids were otherwise ready to watch Discovery, I wouldn't stop them from watching Discovery because I knew that they were going to hear swear words in it. Because they hear, they're much more likely to hear swear words from their parents than they are from TV. <laughs> yes, I swear in front of my children. Send me an angry email if you want. Go ahead. If anybody takes objection to that, I, I will feel free to converse with you more fully on it. Um, I, I have no opinions, obviously, yeah. due to the lack of children. What was I going to say? I, I honestly, if I, if I had known it was going to be this big of a deal, yeah. I guess I would have preferred them not swear. But I happen to think that science is fucking cool, so I'm cool with them thinking that too. Yes. I just wish the whole scene it was in would have had more yeah this scene was poorly written but i think that was a different different problem a different a different problem entirely well i think that was the problem of the entire like the entire episode um yeah yeah like if this would have been the culminating point of a much longer scene i would have and i think it was written that way like i think it was written as the culminating point that could be and this could be editing choices this could be directing choices 
I very much got the feel that they had already been working and worked it all out and they were just going over their solution for the audience. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But we didn't get to see them working it out. We didn't get to see them hypothesizing and doing the work and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So we we only got to see the Mm -hmm. culmination is the feel that I got from that scene. Yeah. Maybe then it's just this belongs in my Star Trek nitpick section that, you know, we wanted to see Well, it is a thing that... Yeah, it is the thing that bothered me too okay. in that particular scene. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Do we want to just talk about what we were sort of just talking about with Stamets? Yeah. Stamets, whatever. Yeah. With yeah, I was. I really liked the scene between him and his doctor boyfriend. Yes, Doctor Culver. Yep. Sure. Yep. And I thought that that was just a really well written scene mm-hmm. and very nice. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see them together. In their personal relationship. Yeah. I, I like I like personal doctor more than I like him being doctor doctor. Like his doctor scenes have been falling flat for me. But this one I was like, oh, this is nice. I, I liked his, his character more and his performance more. Okay. See, I think a lot of his doctor scenes are written for super serious doctor. Mm. But the actor has a lot of emotion in his face. Right. So you know what I mean? So I can see where maybe they would feel a bit weird to somebody, but I actually kind of like it that he's, I am super serious doctor, but also you can see by my eyeballs that I care about everyone. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. I can, I don't know. I kind of like, I think, I think I'll warm up to his character. I'm it's already started starting and yeah. It, like, it's quite possible that the actor is just a very warm guy. You know what I mean? And that's what's coming through. That could be. It, it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I thought it played well with just the two of them and it was a yeah. good scene. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was like, holy shit, what just happened? I know. There's a mirror universe. Do you, do you know about the mirror universe? Okay. So when it happened, I was a little bit like, has this happened before? I feel, I feel like there's something, but I, I couldn't remember anything in particular and I didn't want to say anything in case I was wrong. All right. So it has been a thing from before. There. Yes, it, it is a Star Trek uh, trope, I guess you would call it. Okay. Uh, in the original series, they had this mirror universe. I think there was just one episode. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't do it in The Next Generation. Although, I think oh. that there's been some novelization mirror universe. So it wasn't in the TV then show. Why would I even... But it was, Why would I even have any knowledge of it? It was several. It came up several times in Deep Space Nine. Which I never watched. And it came up in Enterprise. Which I never watched. I swear I have memories of it in Next Gen. This is why I didn't bring it up, because I knew I'd be wrong. Anyways, carry on. You could have just like picked it up from like pop culture references people mentioning. That's true. That's true. As well. A lot of my friends um, do watch Star Trek. So. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't jump to Mirror Universe right away. Mm-hmm. I was just like, kind of like, whoa, okay, what is that? What's going on? This is... Okay, well, I know what the next chapter is mm-hmm. going to be about. Um, totally startled me. I... I'm trying to decide if it was a cliffhanger or if this was the one well-written scene in the show. I'm I'm leaning towards that this was like the well-written moment that this other writer had to get to. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger because it's not like somebody's in danger or 
you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not like, oh, what's going to happen? It's more like, ooh, new new plot, yes. new stuff. Game changer moment. Yeah. For sure. That's where I'm That's leaning towards, too. Yeah. And then part of the reason I'm, I'm leaning so heavily away from the Mirror Universe is because I am a member of the Facebook unofficial fan group, and they now have 13,000 members. And people post a lot of theories in varying degrees of craziness and seriousness of the posting. That would drive me insane. So I am sort of, well, I don't, I can't read them all, but um, yeah, maybe one day I'll share some of the the highlights of them. So right from the very beginning, uh, people have been theorizing about mirror universe things like from the very intro people are like maybe this whole thing is set in a mirror universe and that's why the crew seems so non-star trek and so i i've trying to been not letting my mind go there because i'm like no no the whole thing isn't the mirror universe Mm -hmm. so i'm just going for like another weird science thing another weird science possibility is happening which next gen had several strange things happen to people with people being out of phase and you know different things like that so i'm hoping it's more something like that then he's broken through to the mirror universe somehow but there was two of them and the one left behind in the mirror looked kind of evil is that normal for the mirror universe yes okay i wasn't sure Maybe some people yeah. have very nice reflections. You don't know. Or I don't know. Well, the, the whole idea of the mirror universe is that things are kind of flipped. So in a show like Star Trek, that means most people are evil. I hope it is more interesting than that. Also, do you yeah. think it's like your shadow where you can just like sew it back on? Well, I'm wondering if it's more something like that. Like it's an echo of him? Mm-hmm. Or... You know, something, some different sciencey explanation than it's evil stamets in a mirror universe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just like bouncing around in my brain now. I haven't really thought about it. Hmm. They only have 15 episodes in season one. Mm. So I'm really hoping that we don't, like, I'm hoping that this is like another scientific plot arc. Um, you know, because it feels like they might fit like three comfortable science arcs over the course of season one. So we kind of hit the tardigrade one, and now we're going to bounce onto this other one, which will bring up some other thing that will take us up to the end of the season. If we... I don't want it to be Mirror Universe. Yeah. I don't know what I want it to be. I guess I just want it to be something. Well, you know what? I don't even really care as long as it's well written and like yeah, done in a good way. And I don't really want Stamets to die. So if that could not happen, that'd be great. I'm kind of done with people yes. dying, actually. Yeah, yeah. Stop killing. I mean, the guest. Unless they're in a red shirt, right? Right, of course. Although their pajamas are red. Are they? Winter they were a maroon color. Pajamas. I don't. Need, I have no memory of this. They one. were. They were brushing their teeth. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. They so were red. Yep. 
And side note, I love futuristic toothbrushing. <laughs> I don't, what were they even doing? It was like a plastic bendy thing in their mouth. Maybe it was lasering away? Yeah, well, in in the future, they don't need water as much. Like, they use, like, ions and different... I don't know what I'm saying, but... And... They use ions. I... <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Anyways, um, there's a few episodes where it's just brought up as like a side note that they don't like have to shower with water in the future. There's okay. other methods they use of cleansing themselves. Okay, and I thought you I know meant that, like, for like hydration purposes, <laughs> they don't need water. No, 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 no. They, they still drink. Yeah, yeah, they still drink. And you, there's bathing because people enjoy bathing in water but right. it's not like necessary for hygiene to use water 100% of the time okay gotcha. anyways and toothbrushing scenes i don't know if you notice this in television and movies in general but it's never realistic how people brush their teeth oh no of course not right like they're always standing there having a full conversation while like brushing their teeth and it's like no no you can't act like try doing that when you brush your teeth and you end up like a foamy slobbery mess so i was like this is kind of a foamy slobbery mess without having a conversation with someone so so i was like oh this is the perfect use of star trek future technology it can fix all of these bad toothbrushing scenes because they don't need to use water and soap to brush their teeth anymore so i i like that that kind of tickled me i was like oh yeah, we it can was... have a, a talking toothbrushing scene with it being realistic because technology. I don't understand why you would want to have a conversation while brushing your teeth. Even even in I the don't future, understand. I'm always just like, all right, let's do this horrible thing so that we can get to bed. <laughs> I don't understand why it's so commonly written into scenes, like in TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, as somebody who is in a long-term relationship, do you brush your teeth at the same time as your your husband? Uh, Maybe many, many years ago. But now that we have two children in the mix, getting ready for bed often doesn't happen even close to the same time. Right. So, some people might, I don't know. It just seems like a strange sort of, like, I don't know. It just seems strange to happen on a continuous basis. Right. Even if you're in a relationship, you have different schedules. And I was going to say, part of the issue for me and my husband as well is that, like, my husband's required grooming at night is much shorter and simpler than mine. So, like, yeah, he brushes his teeth, he takes out his contacts, and then he's ready for bed. Like, that's it. He's done. Right? So, yes, I also brush my teeth, but I generally do that after I've washed my face and, you know, have other, like, moisturizing and different things that I do. Mm-hmm. So, it typically takes me, like, two or three times as long to get ready as it does take him. And then we don't have double sinks. So, if we are getting ready right now at the same time, we're in different rooms. Right. We have dwelled on this subject. I know. (laughs) A look into Jen's life, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did we mention our Twitter poll yet? No, no. I no, don't we think mentioned- so. It's hard because we okay. talk about things before we record, and then I'm like, hmm. Yeah. yeah. But no, I don't think well, while we're recording. If you've really enjoyed this window into Jen's life and want to hear a bonus episode about it, we have a Twitter poll, and it's not an option, but feel free to at us, command of her own, on Twitter. Look into Jen's life, not Caitlin's. <laughs> Caitlin's life is boring. Oh, I don't know. I find my life pretty boring, too. Work, kids. Work, kids. You see, but mine um, doesn't have kids. It's just work. It's work and not work. That's true. That's true. And I do have amusing children anecdotes. Okay, so we're hoping to redo episode three, four, whatever, um, during mm-hmm. the off-season. And that'll be mm-hmm. actually, I think, fun to do, like, a first reactions to an early episode after we've seen the whole season. That could be very fun, yep. I think that'll be fun. And then mm-hmm. in sort of an apology, we're hoping to have our schedules match up to do a bonus episode, where I personally think it would be fun to, like, watch the first episode of Next Gen and see what we think of that. But we are open to suggestions, which is why we have the poll. Yes. And I think that's that's the only extra things yeah. we're thinking of at the moment. Although most people so far have been voting for Trek movies, or general themes of Star Trek. So You're going to have we'll to carry see. me through that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I think a general themes, I don't think that would work for our dynamic at the moment. Because I'm I, like, I could do, eh? yeah. I was going to say, like, general themes, I could do, like, an entire episode discussing some general themes of Trek. Or, like, there is a possibility of doing, like, a, having a guest on as well. We'll see. We'll I see just, what the, the two of us discussing general themes would be you going and me going, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Science. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you have any nitpicks this week? Other um, than, like, the general dislike of some of the... <laughs> the general dislike of uh, much of the writing and things like that? I didn't... Well... Okay. I didn't like Mud. I didn't like that as Star Trek tourism. I didn't think it had to be his character. Uh, You can have multiple reprehensible criminals in a universe. Like, you can do it. That's fine. Um, The actor's performance and everything, I was fine with that. I think he he toned down Mud from the original series quite nicely. Um, So that, what I would say, was my little bit of a nitpick. There were a few other things that I'm going to call more like Star Trek Easter eggs uh, that were in this episode. So at one point in one of Saru's scenes, he calls up um, the research on the captains in Starfleet. Right, yep. They've been most memorable. And I don't know if you caught the names on there, Kate. I I saw them, but I didn't recognize them, obviously, other than okay. Philip and Georgiou. That's Georgiou. right. Um, mm. But they also had on their... Um, Archer, who is the captain on the other prequel, Jonathan Archer, from Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. So they had him on there. And I'm trying to think if they had another name. Oh, and then they also had Pike. And Captain Pike was the original captain on the Enterprise. So they filmed a pilot for the original series mm-hmm. of Star Trek 
with Captain Pike mm-hmm. and a different first officer. And mm-hmm. that one isn't what they went ahead with. So then when they recast it, I guess... And okay, my Star Trek history on this may be completely wrong. So if you have better description of the story of what happened and why this happened, let me know. But anyways, there is one episode of the original series of Star Trek, a pilot filmed with a man named Captain Pike. And he does come up a couple times in the original series as well. I feel like was and he was he on the list. in the movie? I think they referenced him in the reboot movie. That's what you're talking about? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, wasn't there the dude who was originally the captain of the Enterprise at the beginning of the movie? Um, Kirk's father who dies? No, no, no. Oh. The guy who comes and finds Kirk in the bar. Oh. Was that Pike? That... Mm, it's been a long time since I watched that Star Yeah. I can't say that. I'll, I'll, just quick, I'll just quickly look this up. Star Trek movies... So, like, that was a little Easter egg to the original series. While Kate's looking up that, I will also say the other little bit of Easter egg was that when... Yeah, Christopher Pike. Yeah. Oh, it was. Okay. So, he is in the reboot movie as well. And when Mud is Caitlin in... Caitlin has the knowledge. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I keep interrupting. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's okay. With the character of Mud in this episode... When he's talking about the woman he falls in love with and he, you know, buys the moon and everything like that, that is the name of his wife in the original series episode. And she comes up in the second one that he's in, iMud, uh, on the android planet, because his wife basically turns into a, a typical shrew character who just nags him nonstop. And he oh, builds an android replica of her so he can go over to her and she can start her rant and he can tell her to shut up and she shuts up. Oh, and Jesus. part of his punishment in that episode, because it gets better, is that part of his punishment is that Kirk leaves him on the planet, only they have reprogrammed the androids, and they've gotten a whole new series of android, all replicas of his wife, who are all programmed to, to harass and nag him and not listen to him tell them to shut up. That's his punishment. Great. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the original series is not my favorite Trek at all. Yep. So, I'm trying to think if there was any other little Star Trek Easter eggs or anything in there. If I've missed any and you caught some, feel free to tweet them at me uh, or email. And we will include those in the next next time we record. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Did we want to do recommendations? Sure, recommendations. And then I want to... Do you want to do that or do you want to do the fortune cookies? Oh, right. Your fortune cookies. Let's do that and then we'll do recommendations. Okay. So I tweeted a picture of a fortune cookie with um, the TV in the background of Michael uh, for not this most recent episode, but the episode before that. And Mm -hmm. Kate actually didn't quite get the reference. And so I thought I would explain it because I'm sure there's a lot of people who have missed that. In Context for Kings, Lorca has a bowl of fortune cookies on his desk. And he tells Burnham that his family once owned a fortune cookie factory. And so, yeah. And there's, in other scenes with the captain's office, 
you can sometimes see the bowl of fortune cookies sitting there. And so I thought it would be fun to eat a fortune cookie each week while I watch the episode. And then this morning I thought it would be fun if I shared what the fortune inside the cookie was. And then Kate and I can assign the fortune to one of the characters in the show. So we're going to start. If I remember anybody's name. Yes. And, And if I have not run out of fortune cookies when the episode airs, which I hope I won't. Uh, So this week, because I dropped things and two fortune cookies fell out and broke, we get multiple fortunes. Um, Okay. Yeah. And just hang on, because I want to write down who we assign them to. And if you're listening and want to play along and have a different idea for who the fortune should be assigned to, again, go ahead and tweet us or email us, um, and we can debate about who the fortunes best apply to. This week, I think it's actually pretty straightforward who would get which fortune. And there's three of them because one of the cookies had a double in it. All right, let's fortune okay. it up. So the first fortune is a change of heart may lead to a new living environment. Hmm. I mean... I, I'm... I, hmm. Do you have a pick ready? Because I'm thinking that one's got to be for the tardigrade. Oh, the tardigrade. Well, I was like, sure, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, because it's not their change of heart, it's somebody else's change of heart. I like it. Yeah. The second one, an appeal for some Mm -hmm. assistance may catch you off guard. I like Saru for that one. You like Saru for that one? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I could see that. Because he was all sort of against, you know, other people's... Well, not against, but you know what I mean. He was very focused and then sort of had to change how he was thinking about things there. Right. See, I think I was thinking of Lorca for that one. Oh, okay, yep. But then partly because the third fortune was learn to relax, avoid nervous strain. That could apply well, to all of them. They all just yeah. need to take a minute. I was... a. You'll just need to have a drink, <laughs> calm down a bit. I was applying that to Saru Relax. myself. Oh, okay, yes, that's that's fair. He was a little bit high strung mm-hmm. this episode. Or and last episode and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. So those are the fortunes for this week. Okay. And email us or message us if you think that they should apply to someone else or your thoughts on that. And we'll see what next week's fortunes are. Now, Kate, do you have a recommendation? Okay, I do. Okay, so my recommendation for this week is the new DuckTales show, because oh, it's amazing. I've seen you tweeting about it, and I so want to, to watch it. It's really good. I've had the theme song stuck in my head for about a week now. That's mm. a little bit annoying, but the new DuckTales show is great. Um, it's probably be great for your kids. I was going to ask, because it-, it is a lot about... It is a lot about teamwork and exploring and finding. There was a recent episode that was kind of about, you know, think changing your mind and having it open to other possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Okay. And it, it, and it posts, like, on top of all the themes, it is just a good fun time. Okay. Okay. Because I think that my husband and I are approaching a saturation point on Pokemon, which is the current show of choice yeah. here. And I uh, need to switch it up a bit. 
So we'll have to see if we can track it down. And then I haven't actually stopped to think of a recommendation yet. So what can I recommend this week? The only thing I've been enjoying lately is the full album of the song that I recommended before. Like I recommended What About Us by Pink. And the full album dropped. So now I'm listening to that. Okay. Do you want to hear my very boring recommendation right now? Okay. So my very boring recommendation heading into what is probably going to be a very harsh and storm-filled winter for us would be to have an emergency kit. So, like, know where your flashlights are. Make sure there's batteries in it. Maybe even have some emergency food there. Um, that sort of thing. There you go. That's my very, very boring recommendation this week. Hmm. We have a couple other announcements we have to fit in quickly. Okay, um, we do? Yeah, sure. you wanted to give a thank you? Oh, yeah! So my friend Ammo um, just helped me with some website problems that I create for myself and um, threw together our title, I suppose, on the yeah, website. Yeah, you put together I mean, a really pretty that, like font uh, across the top of our website, yeah. which is just a command of her own .com. And that he did it in like 30 seconds and it would have taken me all day to figure out the right size and oh, yeah. font and yeah. that sort of thing. So yeah, I really appreciated that. I don't think he listens, yes, but thank you, thank you, Ammo. Thank you very much, Ammo. Um, I can do like some of the background tech stuff of a website but like font and design stuff is definitely not in my wheelhouse yeah Mm -hmm. and then if you haven't already check out our twitter poll because there should be a few days left for you to vote by the time this goes up Um, and you can tweet to us at command of her own on twitter or if you want to get in touch by email you can email us at a command of her own at gmail.com. And I think that's all we have to say this week. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Should we try the bye again? No, let's leave it. It's, okay. It's our thing now, right? It's awkward. It's weird. It's our thing. This wind is making my house sound like it's haunted. I can hear the wind in the background. It is a little crazy. Doors are rattling. It's crazy.